Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. The secret to catching prize-worthy fish? Fishing like a local. Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. The valuable knowledge of a local guide can turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day. Go to fishingbooker.com to discover thousands of local fishing charters from all around the world and create your perfect angling adventure with their easy-to-use online booking system. Visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. Winter is coming. Heavy rain, sleet, snow, and ice. Are your tires up for the challenge? Tread confidently in winter's worst with a set of new tires from Tire Rack. They sell only the best, like the full line of Michelin tires. Go to TireRack.com sports. Tell them what you drive. Your tires will ship fast and free to you or one of over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Thanks for listening to the Outkick the Coverage podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning from 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, 3 to 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for Outkick the Coverage at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every morning on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Now let's get this party started. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. I am at long last back stateside, back home in Nashville. Awesome time in London. As I said yesterday, I remain convinced, having spent a week there, that London is ready for NFL football, and I think it's going to happen before the new television deal is all worked out for the NFL in the next couple of years ahead. But we'll see the outcome of that one. In the meantime, October is the busiest sports month of the year, and we have a ton of stories to react to off the top here for those of you waking up across the country who may have gone to sleep. I know I did. I fell asleep before the end of Monday Night Football. I landed in the evening, fell asleep last night before Monday Night Football on a six-hour different time uh, six-hour time difference, and I woke up to my phone exploding from Jason Whitlock, who chose to gamble against my picks, even though he's sitting in for me on Lock It In. He took the, uh, I wanted him to take the Falcons, and I wanted him to take the over. Instead, he took the Giants, and he took the under. And thanks to an improbable backdoor cover, the Giants found a way to get the cover. And as a result, he also hit on the under, and he's been gloating uh, all night long. There's 14 different text messages that I woke up to from Jason Whitlock exulting over the fact that he had faded my picks and won big on Monday night on Lock It In. So, 
I bet a lot of you out there listening right now, 73% of you had bet on the uh, on the Falcons to cover. Instead, the Giants come back and they cover. And as a result, that was a pretty brutal uh, beat for uh, for many gamblers out there. Odell Beckham Jr. continues to say, we feel like we're a pretty good team. Well, you're not, Odell. You're one in six. Your season is over. Even when Eli was going up against the worst defense statistically, one of the worst defenses statistically in the Atlanta Falcons, they could not find a way to get in real rhythm, only scored 20 points. And as a result, I think if you look at uh, the, the Giants, I think honestly, they're in the same kind of situation the Raiders were in when the Raiders decided to trade Amari Cooper. If I were the Giants at this point in time, I would be looking to move Odell Beckham Jr. if I could get a high first-round draft pick for him. I think the Giants have overpaid him. I think the Eli experiment, as good as it's been with two Super Bowls, is over, and the 1-6 just confirms it. Now, if you're a Falcons fan, Matt Ryan's playing phenomenally well. 15 touchdowns, two interceptions. The defense is awful. The question is, what do you need to get to to get to a wild card? Because I don't think you're going to catch the Saints in the NFC South. I do think you can hope that both the Panthers and the Falcons on the outside have a chance to make a run at the wild card. And so as a result, I think if you're a Falcons fan, you're sitting around saying, okay, are we good enough with Matt Ryan that if we get into the postseason – we can have a run similar to what happened last year. And I know people say, well, they only won one game. You went on the road and you beat the Rams. Then you could have very easily beaten the Eagles. Last year, the Falcons were good enough to make a Super Bowl run. I don't know that the defense is going to be good enough for them to make a run this year, but the door is not completely shut on the Falcons now that they've bounced back after a 1-4 and four start, won two games in a row. They're sitting at 3-4. and four. That's the big takeaway for Monday Night Football. The big storyline, I would say, outside of Monday Night Football is clearly the Raider decision to trade Amari Cooper. And I know there's all sorts of different opinions out there about whether or not this was a good move for the Dallas Cowboys. I'll explain what I think the logic is, and then I'll tell you exactly what I think about the move. Okay, first of all, I think the Cowboys have a serious decision they need to figure figure out the answer to. Is Dak Prescott the future of the franchise? Because you don't want to find yourself in a Blake Bortles situation where you're kind of wishy-washy on whether a guy is the right fit and then he plays a couple of good games and then you give him $54 million and you have hamstrung your franchise instead of going out and getting a guy who can really win at a high level. You spent a lot of money and you've set your franchise back a couple of years. That's where I think the Jacksonville Jaguars are right now. And I think the Cowboys are going to face a very similar decision about what to do going forward. Because Dak is right there on the ambivalent, is he good or is he bad level. He's gotten a little bit worse for each of the past three seasons that he's been the starting quarterback for the Cowboys. Year three, you're sitting at three and four, but it's kind of hard to judge Dak because your receiving talent is so weak around him. So I think the decision to trade for Amari Cooper is as much about trying to evaluate Dak Prescott as it is evaluate Amari Cooper. I think the Cowboys are looking at the NFC East. They're saying, yeah, the Redskins are 4-2, and but we don't feel like we're out of making a playoff run here. But more importantly, I think this, this trade is about making a decision on what to do with Dak Prescott going forward. I really do. I think that's almost entirely what this is about 
a lot of people are focusing on, well, can you get Pro Bowl-level Amari Cooper? What's happened to Amari Cooper? Why has he disappeared as a receiver? All those are interesting questions. But I think the bigger question the Cowboys have to decide is, what is the impact going to be of uh, Dak Prescott down the road? Now, the Cowboys have tried this before. Jerry Jones tends to be a gambler. They went and got Roy Williams. It didn't pay out. If you remember Roy Williams, I believe, came from the Detroit Lions. The idea was, oh, if we get a good receiver in here, that will change everything. By and large, I am not of the belief that receivers change very much. I think you look at the best quarterbacks in the NFL, their receivers don't matter. I think if you look at the best receivers in the NFL, they produce no matter who their quarterback is. So I will be stunned if Amari Cooper comes out and suddenly plays at a Pro Bowl level. I don't think Dak Prescott is that much better, if any better at all, than Derek Carr. So I don't know why suddenly Amari Cooper is going to become a superstar now that he is gone. I like the Raider move here to start to stockpile draft picks. Now, here is the problem if you are a Raiders fan, as a couple of the guys on this show are. Trading Amari Cooper, to me, is a clear sign that John Gruden doesn't have any faith at all in Derek Carr. If you thought Derek Carr was a Super Bowl-caliber quarterback, you would not trade Amari Cooper because you know what Amari Cooper has been capable of with Derek Carr. To me, this is John Gruden basically saying, I'm going to turn the page on the Derek Carr experiment. I'm going to build a young, youthful, talented team, go get my own quarterback, a guy I believe in, Derek Carr, is not that guy. And so to me, there are two takeaways that are massive in general from the Amari Cooper trade. The Cowboys aren't sure whether Dak Prescott is their guy. And on the flip side, the Raiders are pretty sure that Derek Carr is not their guy. Because one team has gone all in with the chips in the table with the Dallas Cowboys saying, hey, let's figure out whether if we get an elite caliber first-round receiver, Dak Prescott can prove to us that he deserves a long-term high-end contract extension. And the Raiders, in making this decision to trade Amari Cooper, are saying, you know what, we're very confident that Derek Carr is not our guy, and it's time to rebuild this franchise to get ready for Vegas. A couple of other big stories out there. Like I said, October, there's so much going on. It's hard to keep track on everything. The World Series starts tonight. Dodgers, Red Sox, I'm excited to watch it. Clayton Kershaw to the mound. Can the Dodgers get redemption after last year's seven-game World Series loss? The Red Sox, it's crazy to say, they kind of feel like the big, bad, you know, 800-pound gorilla in the Major League Baseball universe. Uh, It used to be, oh, can the Red Sox get it done? Now that story's completely faded. If you're like a 12- or 13-year-old kid, the Red Sox, in your mind, have always been a dominant baseball franchise. Their history almost doesn't matter at all. That's a hell of a matchup for Major League Baseball, particularly because it represents what I think are the two best cities in America right now when it comes to sports. And I think you can make a strong argument. We may spend some time tomorrow. We have some less guests coming on. We're a loaded show with Charles Davis in hour one, Mark Schlereth in hour two, and certainly in hour three, we got Petros Papadakis and we will talk about this. But which is the better American sports city right now? Which one? You got LA with LeBron. The Lakers have fallen to 0-3, by the way, losing in overtime last night. Regular season basketball. I don't get too worked up about, especially regular season NBA October basketball. So I'm not going to spend, unlike everybody else, it feels like in the world of sports media who breaks down every regular season LeBron James game as if it is somehow 
uh, the key to the, the, the Hammurabi code, and you're going to suddenly be able to realize and translate everything that's going to happen in January, February, March, and April basketball based on what happens in October. That's not me. But you got LeBron and the Lakers going to 0-3. You've got the Dodgers in the World Series for the second straight year. You've got the Rams, who are the best team in the NFL right now, I believe. And you've got the Chargers, who are also among the best teams in the NFL. Okay, that's LA's resume right now as a sports town. We won't talk about USC and UCLA, but sometimes those schools can be really good. This is not one of those times, all right? I do think with Chip Kelly at UCLA that UCLA is going to be on the upswing and that's going to be a fun team to watch in a couple of years, however. Okay, on the East Coast with the Boston right now, got the Red Sox in the World Series and their record of dominance over the last five or six years. You have got, or last decade if you want to say, You've got the Celtics, who are the presumptive favorite in the NBA's Eastern Conference, and I think are going to be in the NBA Finals playing against the Golden State Warriors when all the NBA season comes to a close. You've got the Patriots, who are in the midst of a 15- to 20-year dynasty with Brady and Belichick. And you've got, by the way, I didn't even mention the LA Kings or the Boston Bruins, both of whom have won championships as well. Which is the better American sports town? I think the World Series may go a long way towards determining it. And frankly, would it stun anybody if we got a Rams versus Patriots World Series, I mean, uh, Super Bowl, and we got LA versus Boston again? Now, I don't think we're going to get Lakers-Celtics, but obviously the Lakers and the Celtics have been the big straw that stirs the drink competition between those two sports towns. So I do think this is an incredible and intriguing storyline to follow. All of that taking place right now will get you to top five, bottom five, as we always do. We are going to talk with my guy, Charles Davis, up next at CFD22. You can find him uh, on Twitter, and uh, he had that incredible Cam Newton comeback against the Eagles. We'll ask him about the comeback, as it were, and also does he buy into the the Panthers as a legitimate threat in the NFC South, and maybe more importantly, what's up with the Eagles as they have now fallen to three and four, I believe, as we get ready for uh, the midway point of the NFL season. All that and more, we will get, like I said, Mark Schlereth in hour two, and also in hour three, we'll talk to my guy Petros Papadakis. We got a loaded Tuesday for you. I am back from London after six days doing the show over there, and I got to tell you, if you've ever driven past the snowy vineyards by I-90, you've probably wondered whose idea it was to grow grapes there. That man was Ephraim Wells' bull, and it took him more than 22,000 seedlings of grapes to invent the Concord grape, a tough fruit that could thrive in cold winters. It was either that or moving to Florida, and you can infer by the 22,000 attempts that it wasn't really an option for a man whose last name was Bull. The world's toughest antioxidants, Welch's, tough as grapes. Up next, Charles Davis. This is OutKick on Fox Sports Radio. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Welcome back, Geico Outkick Studios. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. This is always a confident show, uh, especially when we're about to have uh, Charles Davis on at CFD22 is his Twitter handle. But 
First, let me go bring in my guy, Ralph Irvin, find out what's shaking in the world of sports. Well, thank you very much, Clay. And, of course, when the ball's in LeBron James' hand at the last possession of the game, you know it's going down, right? LeBron James on the left wing. Step back, long two. That shot is off the rim, though. Good. Rebound, fought for. It goes out of bounds. This ball game is over. The Spurs have won a wild game in overtime. San Antonio wins it. 143-142. to 142. WOAI Spurs Radio Network with the call. As the Lakers go to 0-3 to start the season with the overtime 143-142 loss. Golden State, no trouble with Phoenix. They cruise 123-103. Washington, an overtime winner at Portland, 125-124. Kawhi Leonard, 22 points. Toronto goes by Charlotte, 127-106. And Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward, both miss late threes. Orlando wins in Boston, 93-90. In tonight's Discover Card key matchup, the Anaheim Ducks take on the Chicago Blackhawks at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Speaking of matchups, become a new card member, and Discover Card will match all the cash back you've earned dollar for dollar at the end of your first year. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Limitations apply on Monday Night Football. Matt Ryan completed his final 18 straight passes. He threw for 379 yards, and Atlanta held off the Giants 23-20, and Amari Cooper going to the Dallas Cowboys in a trade from the Oakland Raiders. The Raiders now add their third number one pick for the 2019 draft. Now let's talk more NFL as we go back to the Geico Outkick Studios and Clay Travis. We are indeed here in the Geico Outkick Studios where car shopping can be confusing uh, with terms like, let me go ahead and give them a free ad, uh, dealer price or list price and invoice. True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price when you're ready to buy a new or used car. Visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. It's also easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO, the only hard part. Figuring out which way is easier. Charles Davis with us now. He had Panthers-Eagles, and that game ended in an incredible fashion. Uh, The Panthers storming back from a huge deficit. So did this game, in your mind, Charles, tell us more about the Panthers or more about the Eagles? I'm going to focus more on the Eagles right now because as the defending champs, you run through all the stuff you run through, Clay, which is, you know, everyone's coming, everyone's circling you, you're going to be the target, you're going to be this, you're going to be that. And last year when they got on the good run, you know, they became the team that people are trying to figure out. They, you know, they're going for it all the time. They're doing this, they're doing that. Well, this year, of course, you're coming in. Here, here comes everyone. And going into this week, the, 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 the feel around Philadelphia – talking with Doug Peterson was that that Giants game on Thursday night was like their biggest exhale that finally they could kind of shed the burden of being the defending chance and get back to playing ball. And it almost felt like the burden jumped back on them in the fourth quarter when Carolina made their run. And it all started with they score, they kick a field goal, Clay, and I think you probably saw it. And they're getting ready for the next kickoff, and all of a sudden guys are out there doing the kid-and-play dance in the huddle before kickoff. And I remember punching into the, my, my, my team on the truck. I said, I hope you guys are taping this because this is not a good look or a good time to be doing this. still too much time. And sure enough, later on we were able to bring it back and here's what's going on, blah, blah. Now, is that the reason they lost? No. But you never do that type of a thing in an NFL game. You're only up 17, and then, of course, Carolina made the comeback. Look, Carolina coming back, they did it against Washington, too, the week before, but didn't win the game. This one, they, they capped off, so it's a big win for them. But for Philadelphia, I think a lot of soul-searching and 
realizing they're fortunate to be in the NFC East right now because while Washington's four and two, they, it doesn't feel like anyone's going to run away with the division. If you can string together some wins, you can still get it done. But I thought that was a bad loss for Philadelphia, up 17 in the fourth quarter. Let's talk a little bit about the NFC East. The Cowboys are three and four. The Redskins are four and two, but I don't think they've really blown anybody away. Yeah, that division, maybe outside of the Giants who lost last night and are sitting at one and six, still seems uh, it's possible for somebody to grab control of it. What in the world do you think of the Amari Cooper trade? Uh, I started off the show by saying to me it told me two things. One, obviously, it spoke to the fact that they believe, the Cowboys do, that they can still win that division. But also, to me, it means they don't really know about Dak, and this could be another data point for them to decide, is Dak our guy of the future if Amari Cooper can come back and play at a high level? You can't make the excuse he doesn't have weapons around him. On the flip side, side, for, for the Raiders, I think it means, hey, maybe Derek Carr's not our guy. John Gruden doesn't really believe in him. I can't imagine trading away a guy you believe could be a Pro Bowl receiver and has been a Pro Bowl receiver if you think you got a Pro Bowl quarterback. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very strange. I think the Raiders very quickly. When you when when you do what you do, excuse me, when you do what they did, and you just mentioned it, Clay, and, and and talked about it pretty well. But then you look up and they've got three first round picks in next year's draft. Las Vegas is gonna, it looks like it's going to get the benefits of everything. And it's pretty much done here. I mean, it's like a dismantling, you know. Khalil Mack, Chicago, Amari Cooper going to Dallas. That's the type of thing you do when you're just kind of okay. We're starting over elsewhere, and obviously we don't know where they're going to play next year. They don't have a, a, a contract to play in Oakland. You get the whole idea. So for whatever reason, it feels like Oakland has said we've got to start over. Don't understand totally because I thought they still had the potential to be fairly decent going into this year. Shows what I know. Flipping over to Dallas. This is not a picking up Roy Williams or Joey Galloway situation that, that Dallas has done in the past. This is a young, should be approaching his prime receiver, and if not working well in one place. As you mentioned with Dak, is it a data point? It's a heck of a gamble for a data point, Clay. I mean, you're giving up a number one pick, and you know top picks are, are gold in the NFL. You, you need to believe that this, that this move helps make him better, not we got to find out if he's going to be better with it. That's, that's my opinion. Of. If you're making this move, you should be making it because you believe this is the receiver that will really help take Dak over the top. The interesting part to me is they had a chance to get a wide receiver one draft last year, entire offseason and free agency, all of those things. And you remember what Dallas said? Oh, we're okay with our receivers. We can do it by committee. Cole Beasley can do it. And now we look up at this part, and, and I think the first thing you said is on target. Hey, we're three and four in a division that no one's running away with. Maybe we have to change our thinking now. We were wrong before. Let's get a wide receiver one and go ahead and try and win this division. It's still, to me, a little not a little. It's a big gamble to me because the number one you know, uh, pick is still gold in today's football. All right, let's like you're going to call the Redskins-Giants game coming up this weekend. It yeah. seems to me that the Giants are in a very similar situation to the Oakland Raiders. First-year head coach, quarterback who maybe the franchise doesn't really believe in in the long run, and a first-round caliber wide receiver, certainly. Maybe the best wide receiver in the NFL in the case of the Giants that they've given $20 million a year to. This $20 million is spent. They're not going to be in the playoff run. they got two more $20 million years. 
would you consider or entertain, if you are the Giants at this point, any kind of interest in Odell Beckham Jr. and whether or not he should be moved? Would you contemplate that if you were the Giants at 1-6 and six now? No, I wouldn't because they've got to decide what they're going to do at quarterback first. And it'd be one thing if you had a quarterback in place and you felt like Odell Beckham was such a distraction and couldn't, you know, this is not going to work. We can build with another receiver with this quarterback that we believe in. But with Eli being 37 and with how things have gone in recent weeks, to me the bigger question is deciding what you're going to do there and give and give and make this an attractive place for a quarterback, whether it's going to be a young guy coming in, which you'd have to handle differently, or a veteran guy who can play, who you know can, 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 can stand up to the heat and deal with young receivers who go and get the football. Because Sterling Shepard showed a little emotion a couple weeks ago, too. Remember we talked about that? So yes. It's not like you know, there's only one you know, voice that you're going to listen to. Receivers, by, by, by general rule, are not shrinking violets, as we know. But I would not entertain that at all with the Giants. That's not my issue. My issue is figuring out, am I going forward with him? I know they've kept saying, I believe in Eli. Trade deadline's coming up, Clay. It's October 30. I do believe Eli has a no-trade clause in his contract, but we've seen people with no-trade clauses make a different decision when push comes to shove if indeed someone would be interested. I don't know. It's going to be a very, very interesting week in New York, to put it mildly. They've got so many questions and answers. We saw in the game last night, the clock management down the stretch, this decision here, that decision there. Pat Shermer's got a rough week ahead of him as the head coach. But behind the scenes, Dave Gettleman is the GM. He and his staff have a lot of decisions to make along with Pat Shermer. Were we, what are we going to do going forward? Because what are they, one in, what are they, one in six now? Yes. Right, one, they're one in six. Washington comes in on a hot streak. What happens? Because I don't think they make any moves before this game class. Like, they're not going to change quarterbacks or anything like that. But what if they do lose this game at home? You know, get to 1-7, and seven, know it's officially over. Kyle Lawlett is the guy they drafted, but they've made him inactive every game this year at quarterback. Do you make a change? Do you do anything? Last year when they benched Eli for that one game, it was the dumbest move they made, not in benching him, but in benching him to try out Geno Smith, not Davis Webb, the rookie. In this case now, if you're going to bench him and you're going to stay with your own team, you've got to play Kyle Lalletta. You can't, you can't say we're going to bench him for Alex Tanney. That tells you nothing as well. We're talking to Charles Davis. He's got that game, Redskins, Giants. He's at CFD 22. You mentioned the trade deadline coming up October 30th. The Jags are about to get onto a plane and fly where I just was for the last week to London to play against the Eagles. Suddenly this game between the Jags and the Eagles is essentially it feels like must win for both of these teams. They're both sitting at three and four. They're both dealing with a great deal of off-field noise, particularly I would say for the Jags who have now announced that Blake Bortles will be their starter in London. What do you do if you're the Jags? To me, this team is not as far away from getting back to the playoffs as it may seem in the midst of this run. You know, the defense is struggling some, yes, but I think the offense has put them in some really horrible spots along the way. The idea that Blake Bortles was going to start in London was kind of a duh. I mean, you're going to, you're going to start Cody Kessler? Yeah. I love Cody. Great kid. But Cody's not the one that's pressing Blake Bortles. I mean, you're not making that change, and now we're going to move forward and try and make the playoffs. 
The only way for them to do that, if, if indeed Blake is not their guy, which you know all indications seem to be headed towards that direction, they've got to look around the league and say, okay, who can we go get? It's trade deadline time. I know there have been reports that they're not going anywhere, they're not doing anything. I have a hard time believing they're not evaluating that. And I know that people want to jump on the, hey, go to New York, go get Eli. You've got Tom Coughlin, all that. I don't know that that's where they go. I'm trying to figure out where it is around the league that's a veteran guy that might be available that could be better than what you have. Arizona, Sam Bradford's still sitting there. He's on the bench now. No one's crazy about the injury history and all, but you're trying to salvage your season. It's just one name that I'm throwing, Clay. I'm just saying that evaluation process has to happen for them. If they decide to stand pat, then they got to go all in with Blake Bortles. I don't think you stand pat and say, well, We'll see if he plays poorly, and if so, we're going to Cody Kessler. I don't think that that takes you to change the dynamics of your season. What about Teddy Bridgewater? Would you inquire? I know that the the Saints have already traded for him, and they maybe think he's the heir apparent to Drew Brees, but based on the way Drew is playing, it seems to me he still has a good two years left. I mean, he's 39. If Brady can play at 41, there's nothing that I've seen from Drew Brees right now that suggests – oh, this guy is ready to hang up the uh, the cleats and ride off into the sunset. If you make that decision and you're the Saints and you can get you know a second-round pick back or you can get a first-round pick maybe, is that a guy that would make sense for the Jags? Yeah, I think, I think it would definitely make sense for the Jags. He's the type of guy that people rally around, love to play with. He's, you know, he showed during the preseason, you know, and I know it's preseason, but him reengaging back in the saddle, making plays, yeah, I, I think it fits very well. Now, if I'm New Orleans... I'd make him come with a big offer because I know there's so much speculation now that Taysom Hill is the heir apparent in New Orleans. Yep. I think, I think Taysom Hill is much more of a what we're seeing quarterback, not the heir apparent. See, to me, Teddy Bridgewater fits them way better in what they do, how Drew has played the game along the way, the scheme that Sean Payton has. Taysom Hill is your change-up gadget quarterback. I don't take that away from them. I'm not crazy about all that, but I get where they're going with it, and it helps them. But as far as full-time, I, I believe Teddy Bridgewater would be a much better full-time option for the, for the Saints. That's why if you want to come get him, I'd make it be a good offer. And if it's a really good offer, then I would consider it because, as you pointed out, you probably have two, maybe even three years before you ultimately have to make a change at quarterback with New Orleans because of the way Drew Brees keeps himself in great shape. He doesn't get the attention TB12 does with his workout program, but Drew Brees' workout program is insane as well. We're talking to Charles Davis at CFD22. All right, I'm going to take you into college football. I know you're paying attention to that too. Yeah. Is Bama good or bad for college football right now? Oh, they're good for college football. This is To me, this is the UConn women's basketball debate that we went through a few years ago, which I found absolutely ridiculous. I did, Clay. Everybody's, oh, they're horrible for basketball. But was UCLA horrible when they won 88 straight with John Wooden? Actually gave it attention during a time that not a lot of people were focused on college basketball. People act like, you know, the Final Four has always been around and existed in its current state where we go crazy and stop what we do for three weeks. That, that was not the case. Dynasties are very good for business. I don't care if it's the Yankees. I don't care if it's the Boston, uh, Boston Celtics. I don't care who it is, whoever you name. Because when someone finally gets that dynasty, it really means something. I know parody is the word Pete Rozelle loved. Yeah, you can have plenty of parody, but you need teams for people to shoot for, to come get and elevate play 
everywhere. And I'll leave you with this. I worked at the Olympic Committee, Clay. I was around when the Dream Team was born. And a lot of people know, that, a lot of people look back and say, well, we did that because we lost in 1988. Remember our, our men's oh, basketball yeah. team? We lost the gold medal in 88. We got beat by the Russians. We had to go get our, our honor back. There is a vote when you change policy in the Olympics that all the countries get to vote. Do you know that overwhelmingly the vote was for the Americans to have their professionals play basketball? They have the positive vote. You know why? Because they knew that it would, it would up the level of disc, you know, up the level of play, and you now have to change what you do in a country and get yourself better as well, not to mention the attention that came with it. They knew they'd take some beatings for a while, and they absorbed them. How is it now internationally in basketball? Have you noticed how everything has changed? You see how people have jumped their game up? Well, everyone needs to do that in whatever league we're talking about now. Bama is good for football. I don't care what they say. People have to come after them. People have to raise their level in the SEC, around the country, the whole thing. People want to talk about it being bad. Bad? You must be crazy. This is fantastic. Bama and Clemson, again, if they go at it, how about how Clemson's raised their level and have been a consistent team approaching that status right now? I think it's good. You can tell by the passion in my voice on this one. I do not, li- I do not like when people say it's horrible and they're overrunning it and this and that. Then we're back to participation medals and ribbons, and I don't like that either. Amen for that. Let me ask you this final question. I, you have watched college football for a long time. I have watched college football for a long time. Through eight games – I think that Alabama is as good of a team as I have ever seen. They have not been challenged at all. We'll probably talk about this with you a little bit next week. Do you think that somebody will step up? I think you mentioned the phone booth, get in a phone booth game with them at some point and be able to elevate their game to make Alabama go into a fourth quarter and really have to fight itself in order to win a championship. Or do you think Alabama is just this much better that nobody's ever going to be able to even keep it close? Oh, someone's going to keep it close. It's just a matter of when it happens. And for Bama's sake, I think they would be best served if they have one of those in the regular season. Because otherwise you get into the playoffs, and it's going to happen at some point. Remember when Nebraska, what was that? Was it Nebraska 82-83? Remember that team with Turner Gill and, and Irving Fryer and, 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 and Remington and all that crew? You remember they just rolled over everyone? And then they got into that phone booth game in the national championship game with Miami. Remember that? And here comes, here comes Bernie Kosar and crew. And all of a sudden they had to fight and scrap, and they came down and they ended up missing a two-point conversion. I just think you're better off having one of those along the way, dealing with it and knowing that you had to grit it out a little bit. Now, for Bama, it may be gritting it out and winning by 20, but they need to be pressed in the second half of the game. I don't know who it's going to be. I don't know that LSU has enough offense. I don't know the SEC title game, whether it's Georgia or Florida, would be that team. But I think you could get into the playoffs. It could be a Notre Dame. It could be a Clemson. It could be a, you know, who could emerge. But I think they're better off having it beforehand, and I do think that they will have at least one of those before it's over. But like I said, it could be them pressed in the third quarter, and we all tune in, and then they go whoosh, whoosh, and they win, and it looks comfortable. But they need to have one of those unsettling moments outstanding stuff as always charles davis we'll talk to you next week he's at cfd 22 go follow him on twitter and enjoy the redskins giants game he'll be calling it for fox this weekend 
Up next, I'm going to bring in uh, the crew, the Raider faithful, and I will see whether or not they like the Amari Cooper trade. We'll dive back into analyzing that, and we'll ask the question, now that the Giants are 1-6, should the Giants do the same thing as the Raiders and consider trading Odell Beckham Jr.? I'll tell you what I think next on OutKick on Fox Sports Radio. Welcome back to the Geico Outkick Studios. We're brought to you by Discover Card. We treat you like you'd treat you. Rolling through hour one here, Tuesday edition. Charles Davis just joined us in hour two. We'll have Mark Schlereth in hour three. We'll talk with Petros Papadakis. I want to bring in the crew here. Do you like the Amari Cooper trade? Uh, well, good morning, Clay. I would say, first of all, thank God that the majority of Raider fans are also Dodger fans. So something to kind of take the sting away a little bit right now. Number one picks are fine, but uh, you talk about it a lot. It's an inexact science, obviously. It's a crapshoot. And the problem, as I see it, is that Reggie McKenzie, the Raiders general manager, he's had a couple of really bad drafts in a row, including this past draft where Derwin James was sitting right there for the taking, even after the Raiders had traded down with the Cardinals. And as far as John Gruden as a talent evaluator, I think this kind of says it all. So he cuts Janikowski at the beginning of the season. Giorgio Trevecchio, he was the Raiders' kicker to start the season. Well, he's now an Atlanta Falcon. He sunk the 56-yarder to seal the game for them last night. Also hit a 50-yarder and a 40-yarder, I think it was. Matt McCrane, who Gruden replaced him with, has missed four field goals in his three games with the Raiders since uh, Trevecchio was cut. So most Raider fans are really scratching their heads, not only because of Khalil Mack and now what happened with Amari Cooper, but other positions on the roster as well. It just seems like for whatever reason, Gruden has been making wrong slash bad moves with just about every position on this current roster. I think it's also clear that he doesn't believe going forward in uh, whether or not Derek Carr is going to be his guy. I think it's clear that he believes that Derek Carr is not his guy. And I think the next question this begs as we move towards the trade deadline of October 30th in the NFL, I I said this a couple weeks ago, and I'm going to continue to say it. I think the smart move, if you are the Giants, is to address your situation this way. Who is the best player on that offense for the next five years? I think it is Saquon Barkley. I know that the Falcons finally held him below 100 yards from the line of scrimmage, barely. But when you look at what that guy can do out of the backfield and you look at what he can do running the football, I think the best offensive weapon the Giants have for the next five years is Saquon Barkley. Doesn't mean that I think Odell Beckham Jr. is not good. It just means that the most reliable and consistent and I think the most uh, uh, you know, probably psychologically uh, reliable offensive talent they have is Saquon Barkley I don't think he's going to lose his mind I don't think he's going to propose to Annette I don't think he's going to get into it on the sideline I don't have any concerns at all about Saquon Barkley if you believe as I do that he's the best player uh, on that offense for the next five years then I think if the Giants were being smart they would acknowledge that Eli Manning 37 years old it's unlikely he's going to win them another Super Bowl he's already won them two trade Eli before October 30th if somebody will trade for him let Eli ride off into the sunset or go ahead and make the decision you know what we'll play out the thread with Eli Manning this year and then we're going to go straight into the draft and go get a young quarterback 
And then also, before October 30th, I would try to get a first-round pick for Odell Beckham Jr. and get out of this $20 million-plus contract that we have signed ourselves if we're the Giants. Now, I understand Dave Gettleman's uh, decision-making. This is, this is probably a little bit risky. But I don't think if you're the Giants that you are likely to contend for a Super Bowl for the next two years. If you can find somebody to take that $20 million headache of a contract from Odell Beckham Jr. off of your shoulders, I think it's a smart move. Remember, one of the great storylines to pay attention to in the NFL, the best player on a Super Bowl winning team has never been a wide receiver. They get a lot of attention because their plays down the field provoke a lot of excitement. Uh, The explosive wide receiver tends to be a diva. He's outspoken. He's oftentimes a great media figure. Fans rally around him. But ultimately, quarterbacks make receivers. Receivers do not make quarterbacks. And if you're going to have a new, young quarterback that you go out and draft, theoretically, the Giants may be in position to draft number one, the first quarterback off the board next year. Maybe they'll be competing with the Raiders and John Gruden for that. I think you make the decision that the Raiders made, which is trade Odell for a first-round pick. I would move Odell Beckham Jr. right now. And you know what? If I were the Tennessee Titans, a team like the Titans, if I were a team like the Cowboys, I don't necessarily think it's a bad move if you're in a mediocre to bad division like the Cowboys are. Cowboys are in the NFC East. Giants are eliminated. I don't think the Redskins and Alex Smith are that good. Jerry Jones sits there and says, hey, we get to 9-7. and seven. We get to host a playoff game. We get into the big big dance. I think we can get to 9-7 and seven, sitting at 3-4. and four. If I'm a team like the Tennessee Titans sitting at 3-4, and four, crappy wide receiver play, and I've got a first-round pick, I'd give it up for Odell Beckham Jr. right now, and I feel like I've got a quarterback who's good enough to win a playoff game. I think a team like the Titans would feel that. I think certainly the Cowboys would feel that. I think that's a good trade to make, and if I'm the Giants, I take that trade. I really do. Uh, maybe crazy to consider it given how good Odell Beckham Jr. is at wide receiver, but again, if you're going to go get a young quarterback and you think your best offensive weapon right now is Saquon Barkley, I don't think it makes sense to invest in long-term keeping Odell Beckham Jr. I didn't like the $20 million deal when it signed. I still don't like it. Top five, bottom five. I'll tell you next. The NFL, week seven in the books. Who are the top five teams? Who are the bottom five teams? I'll count them down for you next at the top of hour two. Then we'll talk with Mark Schlereth. All that and more coming your direction. Hour one, Tuesday edition in the books. I'm back in the States. Top five, bottom five next. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. Much to get to, and we've already gotten to a lot of it in hour one. Encourage you to download the podcast. Danny G, check the numbers and see if we're on track, even after the sojourn to London for an all-time high in podcast downloads for October, if you would. The Cowboys trade for Amari Cooper. Dak Prescott, is he their guy? Well, this will go a long way towards determining that. It's clear John Gruden doesn't believe in Derek Carr. The Giants get a late touchdown against them to ensure uh, that they, sorry, the Giants score a late touchdown to get the backdoor cover. The Falcons get the win, however, move to three and four. The Giants move to one and six. You just heard from me that I would consider trading Odell Beckham Jr. if I were with the Giants right now. Dodgers-Red Sox begins tonight. We'll talk about L.A. versus 
Boston in Hour 3 with Petros Papadakis when he joins us, as he always does on Tuesdays. The Lakers fall to 0-3. I'm not going to, unlike everybody else in the world of the sports media, obsess about regular season NBA basketball involving LeBron James. I'm going to get to my top five, bottom five in the NFL here momentarily. But another big news story that's out there that I want to hit off the top here that I think is insane. Ray Carruth has been released from prison. You may remember Ray Carruth. He's a Carolina Panthers wide receiver. He was a first-round draft pick out of the University of Colorado. He hired a hitman to kill his pregnant wife because he didn't want to pay child support. The pregnant wife was killed. Her baby, eight months old, was born Even though she was killed, they saved and delivered that baby via cesarean section, but due to the damages, due to the murder of his mother, the baby was born with cerebral palsy and with severe brain damage. Ray Lewis was released from prison. Sorry, Ray Carruth. Ray Lewis could have been in prison too. Ray Carruth was released from prison after serving only 18 years. A lot of talk about justice in the NFL. I haven't seen any players comment on Ray Carruth getting out of jail after 18 years. That's it? For hiring a hitman to kill your pregnant girlfriend so you don't have to pay child support? And then trying to kill your baby as well? And that baby being saved due to the heroic efforts of probably the first responders there on the scene as well as the doctors and nurses in the hospital. And that baby then is born with cerebral palsy as well as severe brain damage. And you are a multi-million dollar pro athlete and you only have to do 18 years in prison? That's crazy to me. All of the kneeling, all of the talk about justice. I haven't heard a single NFL player say, you know what? Maybe Ray Carruth, who actually played in the NFL, shouldn't be getting out of prison for killing his pregnant girlfriend and nearly killing the baby that she was carrying eight months pregnant. Effectively, Ray Carruth due to one of the... Look, I'm not saying... I have done criminal justice, right? I have worked in the legal system. I'm a lawyer. I'm going to put on my lawyer hat here. Sometimes people who are convicted of crimes make one bad decision in their life, and as a result, they go to prison for a very long time. I'll give you an example. Um, I knew uh, of a case in uh, the U.S. Virgin Islands where a guy who was a bartender slept with a girl who was 16. The drinking age was 18. Slept with a girl who was 16 who had a fake ID that he met at the bar that night as a bartender. Got prosecuted and went to jail for multiple years. That's not right. Right? I think a lot of people out there right now, you listen to that, you say, look, the girl goes into a bar, drinking age is 18 there. She's 16. She has a fake ID. He asks for the ID. He looks at it, says she's 18. She flirts with him. She sleeps with, he sleeps with her. I think he was 20. And he goes to jail for having sex with an underage girl for multiple years. I don't know if there's anybody out there right now who says that's justice. I'm not a proponent 
in the death penalty. I don't believe in the death penalty because I think we get too many things wrong in our justice system. It's too imperfect. There have been too many people sentenced to death on death row who we've later found out, found out did not commit the crime. I just I don't believe in the death penalty because I've worked in the criminal justice system and I know how imperfect it is. Humans are imperfect and the death penalty requires a finality that I don't believe and a certitude that I don't believe exists in our criminal justice system. But life in prison, I think, is oftentimes an appropriate penalty for a crime. Guys, I can't think of a crime more deserving of life in prison than being a multi-million dollar pro athlete. You have all the resources imaginable. You get someone pregnant and you don't want to have a relationship with that kid. That's an awful decision in my mind. But you have all the money to put aside to pay for that kid for the rest of your life. That's your obligation. That's your responsibility. You should do it. To make the decision to hire a hitman to kill your pregnant girlfriend, I guess you'd call her ex-girlfriend, and also try to kill that baby that she is carrying when she is eight months pregnant, to me is absolute insanity that he only got 18 years in prison. That baby is born due to the heroism of the first responders, the doctors, and the nurses, but because of your killing the mother, is born with cerebral palsy as well as severe brain damage. Effectively, Ray Carruth, a multimillionaire, killed two people on that day. This doesn't even consider that he skipped bail, that he tried to flee, that he was found in the trunk of a car in a Best Western in Tennessee. It's a crazy story all around. 18 years is all he got in prison for that? Again, everybody out there in the NFL who wants to kneel. You got guys fighting over who's the who's the sellout now. Got a player on the Panthers saying a player on the on the Eagles is a sellout because he doesn't care enough about justice. It's an NFL player, Ray Carruth. I don't hear anybody pointing out, hey, why is this dude getting out of jail? Talk a lot about domestic violence in the NFL these days. You heard a single player comment on Ray Carruth? You heard a single coach? You heard a single owner? Not one. Not me. I haven't. 18 years all he gets? I you to think about that for a minute. I want you to think about a pregnant woman, a multi-million dollar pro athlete hiring a hitman, paid $5,000 to kill his pregnant girlfriend so that he didn't have to pay child support for that baby. Girlfriend dies, baby survives, but survives with cerebral palsy and also with brain damage. The girlfriend's mom, by the way, has raised that child. And I'm reading in today's New York Times this morning. This is the quote from the mom. I want him to come to repentance, Miss Adams told the Charlotte Observer. Ray would never come back here and do anything, but that doesn't mean he wouldn't send someone 
so I am a little anxious. Think about that. That kid's grandma raises this kid from cerebral palsy and brain damage. Ray Carruth only gets 18 years in prison, and she says, I am a little anxious that Ray Carruth might send another hitman to try to kill that kid. Now, Ray Carruth says, I've apologized to this woman for the loss of her daughter and taken responsibility for what happened. I'd love the opportunity to make things right with her and Chancellor, the kid. I just want to be forgiven. He will never have his mother in his life, right or wrong. He still has the opportunity to have me in his life. I believe in forgiveness. I don't think there is any way on the planet that if I was that mom, I would ever let Ray Carruth within 10 feet of this kid, within 10 miles of this kid. Forgiveness can be between you and God. It doesn't have to be between me and you is what I would be thinking if I were her. You kill my kid, you try to kill my grandson, and you want to have the gall to only go to jail for 18 years and say, right or wrong, he still has the opportunity to have me in his life? Get out of here. This is crazy. It's interesting. Everybody in sports wants to get political. Everybody in sports wants to talk about every other case. Here you got a first-round NFL draft pick, only gets 18 years in prison for hiring a hitman to kill his girlfriend. Nearly kills pregnant kid, pregnant, prematurely delivered baby, cerebral palsy, and brain damage. Effectively snuffs out two lives, and he's out. Only had to serve 18 years in prison. Got to be honest with you, it ain't right. And for a league that has marinated for the past three years, injustice and how much they care about the justice system and treating everybody equally. I want you to think about this. Not a damn player has said a damn word about Ray Carruth only doing 18 years for what he did. It's almost like it's a lot easier to point outside the family than it is to point inside the family. Not an owner. Not a player. Not anybody. Really fancy right now to be against domestic violence. Oh, that guy, he punched this girl. He should never play in the NFL again. Ray Carruth? How does he even get out of jail? See, one of the big stories here that people don't want to focus on is it ain't black and white. It ain't black, white, and yellow. It ain't black, white, brown, and yellow. It doesn't matter what skin color you have. Matters how much green you got. It's the only color that matters in America today. The reason why Ray Carruth only did 18 years in prison is because he's rich. And there is a different method and standard of justice in this country when you have money than if you don't have money. And everybody out there who's kneeling and everybody out there who's protesting the justice system, they miss the biggest and most important fact about color in this country, and it's green. And there's hardly anybody out there talking about this. But I want you to think about why in the world 
Ray Carruth could kill his pregnant girlfriend and nearly kill the baby to avoid paying child support. Again, I've worked in the criminal justice system. There are lots of people who go to jail, even for murder, that when you look at the overall fact pattern, you look at it and you say, okay, I could see how this could happen. Two guys get drunk, they get in a bar fight, somebody hits a guy in the head, falls down, he's dead. That happens. All 50 states, there are people serving time in prison right now for murder or manslaughter or a version of murder because they got into a bar fight, they were both drunk, one guy hit another guy, and they fell and they hit their head, and they died. That happens all the time in this country. It's an involuntary, unintentional murder. And some of those people will do longer than 18 years in prison because they don't have the right lawyer, because they get the wrong DA, they get the wrong jury, because things don't work in their favor. And then you have a guy here. To me, this is the very definition of first-degree murder. If you hire a hitman to kill somebody, that's the very definition of premeditation. And you do it to avoid child support payments. And you're a multimillionaire. That's just pure evil. I'll be honest with you. And then that kid's born, and you have the gall when you come out of prison to say, to say, think about this, right or wrong, he still has the opportunity to have me in his life. That ain't happening if I'm your child's guardian. I'm not letting Ray Carruth anywhere near that. And this is the woman's quote to the Charlotte Observer. Ray would never come back here and do anything, but that doesn't mean he wouldn't send someone, so I am a little anxious. That grandma is a saint raising that baby that has cerebral palsy and has brain damage. And if she's a little anxious at all, I'm sorry. The justice system has failed that she's, that she's getting any anxiety at all. Ray Carruth should have spent the rest of his life in prison. The fact that he's getting out is a stain on the American justice system. I'm Clay Travis. We'll get to top five, bottom five, the top of hour three. I got so fired up when I read that story this morning. And the fact that it's hardly going to get any attention. All the time gets spent NFL national anthem controversy. Ain't a damn player who said a word about this. Worth thinking about. I'm Clay Travis. Up next, we'll talk to Mark Schlereth. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. Welcome back, Geico Outkick Studios. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price when you're ready to buy a new or used car. Visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience as well. It's smart right now to go out and find the best people to work at your business. You know what's not smart? trying to find them and not using ZipRecruiter. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Clay to hire the right person. Unemployment rates have never been lower in most of our lives in this country right now. They don't depend on candidates finding you at ZipRecruiter. They find them for you. They have a powerful matching technology that scans thousands of resumes, identifies people with the right skills, education, and experience for your job, and actively invites them to apply so you get qualified candidates fast. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. This rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over 1,000 reviews. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free 
at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Clay. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash C-L-A-Y. ZipRecruiter.com slash Clay. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Uh, Lots of major news going on in the world of sports. Dodgers-Red Sox begins tonight, World Series. We'll talk about that with Petros Papadakis in the next hour. Lakers have fallen to 0-3. I will not obsess over that, unlike virtually everyone else you will hear today in the sports media. The Cowboys are trying to find out if Dak is their guy for the future by trading for Amari Cooper. Meanwhile, the Raiders are basically letting you know Derek Carr is not their quarterback for the future with this decision. We'll get to top five, bottom five at the top of our three. My top five and bottom five teams in the NFL. The Falcons win and the Giants fall to one and six, even though the Giants got a backdoor cover that broke a lot of people's gambling hearts last night. Let me bring in Ralph Irvin to hit all of that, and then we'll go talk to my guy Mark Schlereth here uh, momentarily. But first, Ralph Irvin, what's shaking, my man? Well, thank you very much, Clay. And the Atlanta Falcons got their third win of the season on Monday Night Football. Matt Ryan, 379 yards in the air. He completed his final 18 passes. They held off the New York Giants 23-20. Giants only have one win so far this season. You mentioned it. Amari Cooper going to the Dallas Cowboys. The Raiders receive the Cowboys' 2019 first-round pick. That gives the Raiders three picks in next year's first round of the NFL draft. On at the NBA hardwood, LeBron James missed a pair of free throws in overtime and then missed a shot at the buzzer as the Lakers lost their third straight to open the season. 143-142, they fall to San Antonio. Great news, there's a quick way you can save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you can save 15% or more on your car insurance. Golden State, an easy win over Phoenix, 123-103. Washington, an overtime winner at Portland, 125-124. Mike Conley with 23 points. Mark Gasol, 18 points, 13 rebounds. Memphis won in Utah, 92-84. And Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward each missed late threes. Orlando won in Boston, 93-90. Now let's go back to the Geico Outkick Studios in Clay Travis. We are indeed in the Geico Outkick Studios where it's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. We bring in now Mark Schlereth. I believe we have got him ready to roll. Mark had Detroit, Miami this past weekend and has the Giants against the Cardinals. Condolences on that one coming up on Sunday. He's at Mark Schlereth on Twitter. And Mark, I want to start with uh, with you right here and dive right in off the top. The big story, I think, obviously, the Amari Cooper trade between the uh, Raiders and the Cowboys. Fair or foul, which side of this trade do you like? Well, I mean, I I think that, one, to give up a first-round draft choice uh, for Amari Cooper, who really in the last two years has been a marginal wide receiver. I understand he was in the Pro Bowl, I think, his first two years in the league, and he's still a young guy, but he's been pretty marginal. Now, you know, you could argue that it's the environment. You could argue that that it's playing with the Raiders, the, the, the overall talent level of the Raiders. You can argue that it's the quarterback. You can do whatever you want. But it just seems like a pretty steep price to pay for a guy who's got what 200 and change receiving this year, and I think he had I think he had under 700 yards receiving last year. So um, it's a pretty steep price to play pay for a guy who's been playing uh, pretty marginalized football and has had you know the yips for about two years now. So um, I, again, it shows you the desperation that Dallas has right now, finding out if Dak Prescott's their guy 
and trying to get him a legitimate weapon. But um, I just think it's a pretty steep uh, price to pay for a guy who hasn't really produced. There's a lot of P's in there, alliteration aside. Steep <laughs> price to pay for a guy who hasn't produced. Whoa, that was easy for me to say, Clay. Uh, all right, let's talk about Derek Carr. I mean, two years ago, the guy is the MVP in the NFL. And we're sitting here talking about how much of a great future he has with the Raiders and with everything else surrounding him. He gets his leg broken. The Raiders fall apart. They go on and lose. Uh, they were, I think at the time, were the number one overall seed in the uh, AFC. They end up in the wild card, go on the road, get whipped by Brock Osweiler, I believe it was, and the Texans. And the Raiders have basically stunk since then. What's going on with Derek Carr? I mean, have you ever seen a guy who could look MVP caliber and then just disappear like Derek Carr has? I've seen it with injuries in the past, guys that have unbelievable, you know, unbelievable accomplishments and then have a serious injury and never get back to the same. You know, the thing about being injured like that is is you have to start to trust yourself or trust your body again. You can't think about you about it. You got to be able to go out and play. Um you know, with reckless abandon. Some guys never get over that mental hurdle. Hurdle. I, I think the other thing, um, understand this, and interestingly enough, Derek Carr has that year where he is just absolutely phenomenal. And he has that year with offensive coordinator Bill Musgrave. There's a rift between Musgrave and, um, and the Raiders for whatever reason, Jack Del Rio, they dump Musgrave and they go to a different coordinator. And now he's got another different coordinator this year under Gruden. And I'm always, it always blows me away when your quarterback is playing at the highest level he's ever played at and you don't like the offense coordinator for whatever reason, philosophically you don't match or you know, he's not a guy that you want to go hang out and have a beer with, but your quarterback is playing exceptionally well. I don't understand why you would upset the apple cart. I, so, you know, it's, it's hard enough to kind of get an offense down and a lot of people will tell you, and, and different coaches will tell you, man, you got to be in an offense between, you know, a year and a half to three years before you really understand not just what you like, but what you don't like. Situationally, what I don't like in the red zone, what I don't like in short yardage, I hate this throw against this coverage, whatever it is. And the only way you figure that out is by making mistakes. Like as an offensive lineman, I knew the plays I loved to run. I knew the things that gave me trouble. I knew the things that when they called in the huddle, it was like, God, shucks, you know, oh, shoot, I don't want to run this. Like, I hate this play. But you, you know that stuff. But it takes time to figure that out. you got to run it. And you got to run it in every situation, on every place in the football field, before you really get a feel. And, you know, he's had two different coordinators now in two years, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, look, the, the Raiders are a mess. I mean, I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Now, they do have three p- picks. So, I guess if you're a Raiders fan, you can sit around and say, come May we're going to win the draft because it's hard not to win the draft if you end up with that many picks, but it is pretty wild. You had the uh, the Lions. I think the Lions may be the team that's under the radar more than just about any other team out there in uh, in the NFL right now. If you look at their wins, they actually had some pretty good wins, right? They dominated uh, the Patriots. They got a uh, a really pretty pretty good win uh, against, uh, I know it's you know Brock Osweiler and everything else, but to go on the road and win like that, the NFC North is wide open. Are the Lions for real in your mind sitting at three and three? Yeah, well, you, I mean, look at, like you said, they, they dominated the Patriots and Tom Brady. They dominated for the first three quarters. They dominated the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers. 
and then they go into Miami in the heat and they get a good win in there and they dominate the line of scrimmage. You know, they're really on, you look at them just overall, all three levels of their defense can play. Um, their issue hasn't been playing good defense. It's been, we've gotten creased on one or two plays a game where we didn't have the right run fits. We didn't have the right connection between safeties and between, you know, between our linebackers and, and defensive line. And, you know, we got gashed in those situations, but it's just one or two plays a game for Detroit. Um, and, you know, here's a guy in Matthew Stafford who's an elite level quarterback. I mean, this guy is, he's got all kinds of arm talent. He's really smart. He understands the offense, but they have never cared about having balance for him. They have never cared about running the ball. They have never cared about the play action game for him. And I think he threw it, I mean, in a, in a game where, you know, they, they hung 30 plus points. I think he threw it like 22 times. Um, all, I mean, a ton of play action stuff. They ran the snot over 200 yards rushing. I mean, the, the value of being able to do that for Matt Patricia is, and for Matthew Stafford is huge. And one of the interesting things coming off their bye week that Matt Patricia was talking about is like, you know, I'm still learning this football team. I'm learning my guys. I'm learning what they do well, what they don't do well. Uh, you know, on Sundays, and, and how can I put them in a position, very patriot, uh, patriot-esque, if you will, how can I put them in a position to win as opposed to putting them in positions of failure? So, I mean, they're still learning their, their football team. Um, I, I just find it a fascinating way to manage people and manage a football team, and I'm with you, man. I think they're flying under the radar. I think they're a better football team than, you know, their three wins would tell you. What is going to happen uh, as you look going forward with the Giants now? Uh, Monday Night Football last night, Giants lose to the Falcons. Falcons still kind of hanging on the periphery. Maybe they can dream of getting in a wild card spot. Uh, Matt Ryan's having a very good season. The Giants have fallen to 1-6. and six. We just saw Amari Cooper traded. If you are Dave Gettleman right now and your phone rings, would you trade uh, Odell Beckham Jr. for a first-round pick. What would you do? And I know Eli's got to be decided and everything else. What do you think is going to happen there? Well, I would I would trade Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah, I mean, I, I, like, hey, see you later. Hope it works out for you. I just I don't see the value in paying, making the most dependent players in football, which are the wide receivers. Hey, we all depend on each other. But the most dependent players in football – um, your highest paid guys. I just, yeah. I, I will never understand that kind of philosophical approach to to football. Um, so would I trade him? Absolutely, I would trade him. Um, Eli Manning, you know, as much as he compiled in that game, as many great throws as he made, it's the ones that he missed that just make you scratch your head. The ones where he just doesn't pull the trigger. The ones that he's just late on that are you're just like, how can you, how can you miss that? The you know the flat route to Odell Beckham Jr. and the at, where he doesn't where he doesn't throw it. I think it's a fourth down and it's wide open and it's the first read in your progression and you decide not to throw the ball. I, I like stuff like that's what blows you away um, with the way Eli's playing right now. But would I trade Odell? Yeah, because I think I, again I think receivers are in a in a game where everybody's dependent on everybody else to do their job. They're the most dependent players and and Odell looked happy yesterday right no sideline antics is it because he compiles fantasy numbers in a loss he's okay losing as long as he gets his numbers like those are those are issues that wouldn't sit well with me but that's me what do you do if you're Jacksonville 
You got it. You're going on the road. It's actually a really good early London game. I just came back from watching the Chargers Titans. I'm going to wake up early, like a lot of people listening to us right now, on Sunday, and make sure that I'm watching Eagles Jags because I do think there's a lot of storylines associated with that game. What do you do if you're the Jags with Bortles? I mean, I don't know how you like. He's been the guy. He's been a turnover machine since he walked in the league. So why did you think all of a sudden he was not going to be a turnover machine? I mean, that's. That's been his history. So um, you got to find, to me, he's not your guy. He hasn't been your guy. Um, you know, when you were winning last year, shoot, there was a game. Uh, I called the Jacksonville game against the Rams last year. The game before that, they had played the Steelers and won. I believe it was the Steelers. And in the fourth quarter, they ran it. They, he didn't throw the ball in, in the second half. I think he had, I think he had 19 total attempts. But they ran it 19 straight times in the fourth quarter. Like, hey, you know what? We're going to manage our own quarterback. You don't get to play. The perfect game plan for Jacksonville is to run it every time, like 100% of the time. And without Fournette being there, I just don't know how you can continue to roll that guy out there because he's proven that if that's the game plan or you have to put it on his shoulders to push the ball down the field, um, he's going to throw it to the wrong color jersey. Since It's a great stat that you mentioned. Since he came into the league, Blake Bortles has 10 more turnovers than anybody else in the NFL. I mean, that's a pretty unbelievable stat. 10 more. He's fumbled the ball a lot. He's obviously thrown a lot of interceptions. Is there a trade that you could make at this point? I mean, would you make a trade for another quarterback? Obviously, he's starting on the road in London. Is there a move? Could you go after Teddy Bridgewater? Would you consider trying to get Eli? You've t- got Tom Coughlin down in Jacksonville. Do you get on the phone there and consider trying to make a move uh, with the Giants? Is there anything you can do? Because I look, as as bad as Bortles is, I don't think the Jags can hand the reins to Cody Kessler and expect to have any kind of ability to compete in the AFC South. No, you're gonna have to you know, you're gonna have to start making phone calls and seeing if there's a quarterback, like you said, at Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, if if the Giants are interested in Eli, although you know out of the frying pan into the fryer with Eli, um, you know, you're in the same boat. If you can't dominate the line of scrimmage and and um, you know and run the football and make sure that Eli can just manage it, I mean he's got you know he's got dynamic tight end, a dynamic wide receiver, a dyna- a couple of dynamic wide receivers. He's got. You know, guys that can catch a, a running back on the backfield that can flat catch it and, and make people miss and do spectacular things. You're going to Jacksonville without that complimentary, you know, without the complimentary players there. I mean, how is that going to work for Eli? Uh, you're going to have to kick the tires on people and see if you can get yourself a Teddy Bridgewater or somebody of that nature. But um, I tell you what, you're in a you're in a you know a tough position right now, having put your money into Blake Bortles and thinking he was going to you know play the same as he did last year, and you're going to have that. The same formula that you did last year, certainly that's not working. Where is, like, as sort of as the hourglass turns, I guess, so to speak, with Vance Joseph and the Broncos? Big win for them. Where are they now? Well, I think they have some confidence, but I think, you know, I mean, I think the wheels have already started turning over there of what's our plan for after the season. I mean, think about this now. John Elway admitted before they retained Vance Joseph after last year he, he admitted that, hey, listen, I have to go sleep on this, right? So, I mean, he was, wasn't sold on Vance Joseph last year. I don't think 145 to whatever win in the desert over a really bad football team on a Thursday night 
you know, is going to is going to change your mind. I mean, you think about him. I think seven of fifteen. I think they've had fifteen losses. Seven of them since he took over have been double digit blowouts. Double digit blowouts. Seven of the fifteen losses. He is two and what nine on the road since he took over as the head coach. And I think there are issues with that roster. I think they have lack of depth issues as a roster as whole. But I don't think one blowout to a really bad team in the desert saves your job. Good stuff, as always, Mark Schlereth. We will talk to you next week. Appreciate the time, my man. Anytime, buddy. Take care. That's Mark Schlereth. Final segment, hour two up next. We'll dive in a little bit to, uh, to the question. World Series. World Series is officially starting. I'll bring in the crew in L.A. How much Dodger enthusiasm is there? How much of a underdog should the Dodgers be against the Red Sox? We'll talk about that a little bit. We're also going to be joined by Petros Papadakis in Hour 3. And at the top of Hour 3, I will give you my top five, bottom five in the NFL. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Welcome back in. Final segment, Hour 2 on Outkick. Appreciate you spending your mornings with us. We are here in the Geico Outkick studios where you can become a new card member and Discover Card will match all the new cash back you've earned dollar for dollar at the end of your first year. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Limitations apply. We're going to get into this tomorrow uh, after game one of the series because there's so much to talk about tonight. But I am curious in general. I want to poll everybody. Uh, on the show um LA or Boston which is the preeminent American sports town right now number one I'm going to probably potentially start the show talking about this a lot tomorrow uh but I am curious early to get your read and I'll poll people I'll put up the the poll question tomorrow um but uh let's start I'm gonna say that I think it is Boston Uh, I think Boston is the number one sports town in America right now And I'm probably a little bit biased because I think the Belichick-Brady staying power puts them number one on the list. The Celtics obviously have been relevant uh, over the last decade or so pretty consistently in the NBA, uh, what Danny Ainge, the moves he has made there. I don't really consider the, the NHL to be a determining factor, but the Bruins have won a championship just like the Kings have. And uh, the Red Sox have been really, really good. So I would rate Boston as one. I think everybody out there would have to say that one and two right now in the American sporting consciousness is Boston and L.A. I think it's just a question of which one is one and which one is two. So I'm going Boston one, L.A. two. What say you, Danny G? It sounded like you were running in the Boston Marathon there for a second. I, my, kids are, <laughs> my kids are up early after all of the, uh, all the trip back. Oh, their, their time the clocks are yes. screwed up? Uh, time clocks are all yeah. off, so everybody woke up in my house at like 4 a.m., and so uh, uh. which is you know 10 a.m. Uh, London time where we've been the last several days. So I was downstairs mediating disputes uh, <laughs> in my house. I've got the home studio here, and it is absolutely pandemonium in my house. No, the kids are usually not up when I'm doing my show ever. And so downstairs right now, it's pandemonium. I had to get upstairs uh, at the last minute to make sure that we haven't had, uh, you know, World War Three erupt uh, among the kids. So, uh, so that's where I was. I'm actually going to agree with you on this one and not be a homer. L.A. is coming on strong, but because of the dominance of the Patriots, it's got to be Boston at this moment. All right, what about you, Roberto? Boston or L.A.? I also agree with you guys. I would say Boston right now because of the Patriots. Ralph? 
Yeah, Ralph Irvin, who would you go with? Is it Boston on a walk-off here? Yeah, I mean, pretty much. And it's just – it's it's hard to ever call L.A. A, a super, super sports town because ultimately it's not that big a deal here. Yeah, it may not be that big of a deal, what? but in terms of the amount about, of Ralph? interest. Ralph, you're tripping. It's a big deal to a lot of people in you walk, LA. You go to Hollywood, you walk down the street, people don't care. You're talking you're about tourists, That's a tourist Ralph. Town. Yeah, you're talking about tourists. I'm talking about natives and people that have lived here a long time. Sports connects us to anywhere family. anywhere in Boston, people care. You go anywhere in L.A., they don't. It's true that save, there's right, more save, to do in Southern save, California. That doesn't mean we don't care. The, save the debate. Save the debate. We're going to have a major debate about this tomorrow. I promise. Put put a pin in it. We will open the show tomorrow in the wake of World Series Game One for your New York for your Boston versus L.A. sports takes. So everybody out there right now, you can put a pin in it. I guarantee we'll get to it. Um, what about you, uh, Dub? Which would you say? I kind of think L.A., especially moving forward. I mean, they got two franchises in all the major sports: NBA, MLB. Uh, NFL and two MLS teams, so I, th- I think it's LA. It is. It is. I think and like kind of an intriguing subplot of this Dodgers and Red Sox series. The Dodgers by themselves look. It's been thirty years since they won a title. It's it's crazy for old school baseball guy out there to be like, yeah, the Red Sox. We know how good they are. I mean, the the Red Sox becoming the most dominant, one of the most dominant franchises in baseball, and and also becoming a massive, you know, kind of fan favorite in terms of their impact. I mean, there are 15-year-old kids growing up now who have no idea why the curse of the Bambino ever mattered. What you got for me, Danny G? A quick question. I'm asking for a friend, Clay. Is it irresponsible to skip rent and get tickets for Game 3 showdown at Chavez Ravine instead? What are they costing? (laughs) The cheap – I was just on the Game Time app on my phone. The cheapest pair of nosebleeds right now – $1,578. $1,578. Yeah, that's too much. I would wait and see what happens in game one and two as well um, before because, I mean, that could impact the overall price. But that's that's one of those crazy things. I mean, I, you to me, you have to be insanely wealthy in order to pay those kind of prices. And and I don't think it's even fair when you say 1500 bucks or whatever it is to get in. 1500 bucks is not equal to everybody. There's tons of people out in L.A. making you know hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars a year. The fifteen hundred dollars is nothing. Probably the biggest fans out there are making forty k, and that's like, I mean, you know, whatever the math is on that. I mean, that's a huge percentage of your overall salary. It's like three percent of the money that you'll make in an entire year. It's wild. That's why I always say when pricing, you're pricing tickets. It's not how much the ticket costs. It's how much of the ticket cost as a percentage of your income. Fifteen hundred dollars is wild. Um, all right, uh, we will be joined by Petros Papadakis in hour three. I will begin hour three by giving you the top five teams and the top uh, bottom five teams in the NFL as we do every single Tuesday in the wake of week seven. Get your pens and paper out. Top five, bottom five next and OutKick on Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico OutKick Studios where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. For everybody waking up across the country, much to discuss. Last night, the Falcons win, rise up to three and four. The Giants fall to one and six. That was your Monday night football game. Tonight, Dodgers-Red Sox World Series game one. Clayton Kershaw on the mound in Fenway. The Lakers have lost three in a row. I will not spend my entire show discussing LeBron James, unlike 90% of the people in sports media. The Cowboys 
need to find out if Dak is their guy. How do they do it? They trade a first-round pick for Amari Cooper from the Raiders. Uh, There are reports that the Raiders have given up on Derek Carr and that he's lost his locker room because he cried after he hurt his arm in one of their most recent games. Uh, John Gruden clearly does not believe in Derek Carr either. That's the only decision you can make based on the decision to trade Amari Cooper and Khalil Mack. Maybe there is a method to John Gruden's madness. The Raiders will now have three first-round picks in the NFL draft come May. Now, the question out there, and I think it's a good one, is was anybody be willing to trade for Derek Carr? Would Derek Carr be substantially better in Jacksonville? I don't know. Would Derek Carr be substantially better anywhere, honestly? Or are the Raiders going to release him? Because I think there's a good chance the Raiders are going to release him. I don't know how much dead cap money they will have then wasted, but he's got $19 million a year left, I think, for three years on this current contract, not counting this year. And so that is a messy situation, but it seems clear that John Gruden does not believe in uh, Derek Carr. Now, the flip side is, I'm not sure whether the Cowboys believe in Dak Prescott or not, but I think this is one way to try and figure out whether they believe in him or not by bringing in a guy who was a Pro Bowl caliber wide receiver, putting him on the Cowboys roster, and we will see whether Amari Cooper can be a difference maker for the Dallas Cowboys going forward on what fairly, I think fairly, the Dallas Cowboys are an 8-8 caliber football team. Might get to 9-7, might go 7-9, but 8-8, might be good enough to win the NFC East because I'm not buying into the Redskins sitting at 4-2 and two as being a much better team than anybody else uh, when you consider the Eagles or you consider the Cowboys. So we'll see. Eagles with a big game on the road in London where I am now back from. Uh, appreciate all the help from Jason Martin and Jeff Schwartz and uh, breaking down everything surrounding the last six days of the show that I did from London. I'm now back stateside adjusting to a six-hour time difference uh, and everything is rolling. I think I'll be in here every day uh, pretty much for the rest of football season. So thank everybody out there for uh, for the crew and everybody else putting everything together while we were in London. will be a big game between the Eagles and the Jags in London where I just got back from. Had an awesome time over there for six days and I return absolutely confident that London could and would support an NFL franchise at a pretty high level, and I think they're going to get a team. I really do. All right, uh, all of those are the headlines. Let me dive into, we do this every Tuesday, top five, bottom five in the NFL. Cue the music, boys. Let's roll through it. There you have the melodic tunes of NFL film playing in the background. We'll start off with the bottom five teams in the NFL, and I will count them down. I actually, you know, the Giants are 1-6. and six, But I do agree that they've been really pretty competitive, by and large, in a lot of their losses. Having said that, 1-6 and six is 1-6. and six. The season is over for the Giants. The question becomes, what do you do with Odell? I'd trade him. What do you do with Eli? I'd try to trade him, too. I'd build around Saquon Barkley. I would use the Rams as my blueprint. They got Todd Gurley. Then they went and got Jared Goff, and everything changed. You have Saquon Barkley, who I believe is every bit as good as Todd Gurley and will be for the next five years. And as a result, you go find your quarterback in this year's draft and you rebuild. You get a first-round pick for Odell Beckham Jr. and you go out and you build everything new 
and youthful around this Giants franchise. Uh, in the 29th spot, I've got the Buffalo Bills. I know they beat the Vikings and the Titans. I have no idea how that happened. The Bills are an awful monstrosity of a football team to watch. In the 30th spot, the Raiders. The Raiders are really bad. Effectively, John Gruden is saying, we're so bad that I'm just throwing in the towel on this season. I don't believe in Amari Cooper. I don't believe in Khalil Mack. I don't believe in Derek Carr. The Raiders now, 30th best team. And the Bay Area, it's a long season of futility if you are a Bay Area football fan. The Raiders at 30, the 49ers at 31, and the Arizona Cardinals I am slotting in as the worst team. Last week, I forgot about the Cardinals, which was absolutely perfect because they are so irrelevant. This week, I'm making up for it. They are the worst team in the NFL. My bottom five teams, again, Giants, Bills, Raiders, 49ers, and Cardinals. How about the top five? How about a little positivity? In the five spot, I've got the team that I picked to make the Super Bowl from the AFC, the Chargers. I was there in person in London. I watched the Chargers. May have been fortunate to beat the Titans. Titans, I thought, played every bit the equal of the Chargers. But I think the Chargers are going to get on a run now. Remember, the Chargers were also without Melvin Gordon, which I think hamstrung their offense to a substantial degree. I've got the Chargers slotted in at the number five overall spot in my top five NFL rankings. Remember, the Chargers' only two losses, I believe I am correct in this, are to the Rams and the Chiefs. That's a pretty good resume at this point. In the four spot, I said I didn't believe in them when they were 1-2 and two after the loss to the Lions. And what have they done? They've run off four straight wins. The New England Patriots, I have got at the four spot as they sit at 5-2. and two. In the three spot, the Saints. Man, what an unbelievable comeback. How about winning on a missed extra point? The first missed extra point, I believe, that Justin Tucker has missed in his entire NFL career. The Saints and Drew Brees sitting Uh, with only one loss week one against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Saints are on a roll. I've got the Chiefs in my two spot, and I think you can make a strong argument that the Chiefs should be a one. And then in the first spot, the only undefeated team in the NFL, I have got the Rams. So my top five in descending order, Rams one, Chiefs two, Saints three, Patriots four, Chargers five. And for those of you just starting off the morning, the sadness list. That's the that's the uh, happiness list. The list of sadness. The bottom five. The Giants, the Bills, the Raiders, the 49ers, and the Cardinals. Anything that jumps out, Danny G? No, I think you're right about uh, the Chiefs because their defense did look a lot better last week. So as far as flip-flopping one and two, you could do that with the Rams and the Chiefs. And also, tied with the Chargers at five, I would put the Panthers in there. Yeah, look, I mean, the Panthers, to me, have been very fortunate. Now, you can give Cam credit, but when you make a 63-yard field goal to beat a 1-6 and Giants team, uh, I, you know, there have been a couple of really good breaks that have gone their way. I thought they were very fortunate to come back and beat the uh, Eagles like they did, so that's the reason why I have the Chargers in there. You can also say, look, the Chargers were fortunate in the way that game ended against the Titans. If the Titans kick the extra point, that game goes to overtime. Who knows what happens if the Titans run a better two-point play? When they've got a two-point conversion opportunity from the one, who knows how much different uh, things might have uh, appeared there. So that is the top five, bottom five in the NFL as we move on now to NFL Week 8. Again, I would say the big storyline that's out there as we move into the week is there are a couple of teams that I think have to make real decisions about what they're going to do. 
And I think in particular to me, the Jags have to decide what they're going to do with Blake Bortles. Blake Bortles right now, they made the decision to over-reward. And I understand the difficulty of this. I understand the difficulty of making a decision when it comes to your starting quarterback when you are looking at pretty good performances, right? He was not good against the Bills in that first playoff game against Tyrod Taylor. But he was pretty, pretty good, right, against the uh, Steelers. And then, look, if they had been a little bit more aggressive, the Jags might have been in the Super Bowl last year. Instead, they come back. They think, oh, we're going to be great. They beat the Patriots. Everybody's talking about how great the Jags look. And then they've fallen apart. They lose to the Titans. They lose to uh, the Cowboys, get wrecked. And they lose, just most recently, to the Texans who have made an incredible comeback after starting off 0-3. And again, I mean, dead cap number this year, $26.5 million on Blake Bortles. Dead cap money next year on Blake Bortles, $16.5 million. They signed Bortles to a three-year, $54 million contract, $15 million signing bonus, and $26.5 million guaranteed. So they gave him basically over $40 million guaranteed, and then they benched him last week for Cody Kessler. I don't know what the answer is here, but based on how much money you have invested with Blake Bortles, I'm not sure really what you can do going forward, but I think even the most hardcore Blake Bortles fan out there would have to say at this point, amazing stat, since Bortles has come into the league, he has got 10 more turnovers than any other player in the NFL. He's got 80 Eli Manning has got 70. That's a pretty crazy difference in terms of what Bortles has been uh, has been about. So to me, for the, for the uh, Jags, they have a big decision to make there. The other big decision that I think has to be made in the NFL in the wake of what we saw happen last night in Monday Night Football is, what do the Giants do? I told you what I would do if I was Dave Gettleman, their GM. I would try and trade Odell Beckham Jr., just like the Raiders did, get a first-round pick for him. And... I would try and figure out a way to move Eli and get something for him. I mean, really. If you can't, then I would let Eli go at the end of the year and I would go back into the draft, take a quarterback, and try to follow the Rams' uh, decision-making process. The other thing is, who are the teams out there that potentially would be willing to give up a number one overall pick for Odell Beckham Jr.? It's unlikely that they would trade him within the division, but reports were that the Eagles were willing to give a second-round pick for Amari Cooper. If the Eagles were willing to give a second-round pick for Amari Cooper, wouldn't they be willing to give a first-round pick for Odell Beckham Jr.? Now, I don't think the Giants would trade him in division because then you have to play him twice a year, and that seems like a disaster if you're the Giants, particularly if he has a lot of success with Carson Wentz, which I think he would. So I think you have to move across the country and start to ask the question, okay, the Cowboys were clearly in desperate need of wide receivers. Who else is in desperate need of wide receivers? The team that immediately jumps to mind for me, honestly, is the Titans. The Titans are awful at wide receiver right now. In the wake of the Delaney Walker injury at tight end, they can't stretch the field. They have no ability with their current wide receiving core. If you believe in Marcus Mariota, would you be willing to give up a first-round pick for Odell Beckham Jr. to add to that team in an AFC South that certainly seems winnable? I don't think that's an awful decision. I really don't. I think Odell Beckham Jr. makes that Titans defense a lot more difficult to defend. Now, would the Giants do it? I don't know. But I think if you're Dave Gettleman and you're looking at a 1-6 team 
with $20 million tied up in Odell Beckham Jr. over the next couple of years. Aging quarterback in Eli Manning. Foundation of your team, I think, should be Saquon Barkley, given the fact that he's younger and that he's been incredible out of the gate. That, to me, is a decision that has to uh, has to be asked as we come up on the trading deadline of October 30th in the NFL. How many different teams could make moves? Who's willing to do it? Is somebody willing to give you a pick, first-round pick for Odell Beckham Jr.? If the answer is yes, I do it. I do it if I'm the Giants. All right, uh, we're going to be joined by Petros Papadakis. We will dive into World Series. Dodgers game one against the Boston Red Sox tonight. Also, LeBron 0-3. Petros Papadakis is our L.A. sports correspondent. We will ask him how the City of Angels is responding to all of these stories and more. Uh, I am Clay Travis. Appreciate you spending your Tuesday morning with us as we break down everything in the world of sports and beyond. I got to tell you, using TrueCar, you can easily find the car you want. With True Price from TrueCar, you can avoid the confusion you encounter online by getting a great price you can count on before you ever visit a dealership. The True Price includes all dealer fees and accessories. True Car will show you what other people in your area paid for the car you want. Now you know what a fair price is, so you can feel confident and your certified dealers know this, so they set their True Price competitively so they can win your business. Over 3 million cars have been sold to True Car users by the True Car Certified Dealer Network. There are over 15,000 True Car Certified Dealers nationwide. True Car users save an average of over three grand off MSRP. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. Up next, it's Petros Papadakis. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. That's the theme music of Petros Papadakis. That's Taylor Swift. Let's wait for it. Ah, what an uplifting song. Welcome back to the Geico Outkick Studios. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price. Along with, there we go. Oh, it's such a good song. Uh, car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price when you're ready to buy a new or used car. Visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Petros Papadakis joins us momentarily, but first, Ralph Irvin takes us through the world of sports with his update. Well, thank you very much, Clay. And we start with Monday Night Football, where Matt Ryan had a huge night, 379 yards passing. He connected on his final 18 throws of the night, and the Falcons beat the New York Giants 23-20. to The Dallas Cowboys have a new receiver as they acquire Amari Cooper from the Raiders. Oakland receives Dallas's first round pick in 2019. The Raiders now have three of those on the NBA Hardwood Golden State, a 123-103 win over Phoenix. Online car shopping can be confusing, not anymore with True Price from True Car. Now you can know the exact price you'll pay for your next car, so visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. LeBron James missed a jumper at the buzzer. And the Lakers fall to San Antonio in overtime, 143-142. L.A. now 0-3 to start the season. Toronto got 22 points from Kawhi Leonard. Five players, in fact, scored over 15 as the Raptors rained Charlotte off the floor, 127-106. Dallas was six players scoring in double figures. They beat Chicago, 115-109. And Clayton Kershaw officially announced as the starting pitcher for Game 1 tonight of the World Series. He'll go against Boston's Chris Sale. Now Back to the Geico Outkick Studios to take another look at stuff going on in L.A. with Clay Travis. 
Indeed. We are coming to you live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where it's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. Petros Papadakis is with us now. He's on the Petros and Money Show, AM 570 Sports in L.A. How much optimism is there about the Dodgers going up against the Red Sox, P? There's a lot. A lot. (laughs) So do you think they're going to win this series? No, I don't care. I mean, these things are very – I care, but these things are very, very difficult to predict. I mean, who could have predicted last year's World Series and – Game seven and Kershaw giving up all those leads and you spend all that money for you, Darvish, and he gets destroyed and then you don't take him out and he gets destroyed even more and Houston wins a series. This is a little bit of a heavier series because of the history between the two franchises and Fox gets Boston and L.A. and it's pretty darn exciting, I think, for everybody involved, but I have no idea what's going to happen. I think a lot of people think the Dodger pitching and bullpen is really hot right now, and if they can hit those home runs that they started to hit in the final game against the Brewers, that things will kind of go their way, but it's hard to say. A lot of people nationally, Clay, think of this Dodger team as kind of like a villain sort of team with Manny Machado doing the money sign every time he (laughs) gets a bunt, and Yasiel Puig freaking out absolutely like a Tasmanian devil out there. Uh, a lot of people don't like that. Some people really love it. it. It should be interesting and fun to cover, but I have no prediction. But all the Dodger people are predicting Dodgers win, so go figure. Yeah, go, you go figure indeed. Uh, doing radio, I think it's always more fun to do radio when teams that are in your local market are winning and or they're really great stories. You've been doing L.A. radio for a long time. You don't have Is to this- be winning. You either have to be winning or really, really bad. Yeah, just great storylines. But if right. every team is losing, like you want there to be like some sort of variation sometimes. Is this the best number of topics on any given day? Because sometimes, let's be honest, I did local radio in Nashville for a long time. Some days you come into the radio station when you're doing local radio and you're like, I would rather shoot myself in the head with a nail gun than talk about who we're going to take with the number one pick for four hours again today, right? Uh, There's just like not a good storyline out there. You look at L.A. right now, Dodgers obviously huge in the World Series and also have been huge all season long for the last several years. LeBron and the Lakers, and you got arguably, you got two of my five best teams in the NFL right now, I've got the Chargers in at number five, and I've got the Rams as the best overall. That doesn't even consider like the Chip Kelly angle at UCLA or any you know college angles at all that you have to jump onto as well there. Is this the best series of stories, most entertaining series of stories you can ever remember? Yeah, it's a lot better than talking about Kobe's trial yeah. every day for like two years. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. It's it's really an exciting time, and it's almost too much. You know, I want to talk about college football, but you really there's not a lot of room for it right now. Even though Chip Kelly's got him going a little bit in the last couple weeks, and USC's coaches on a hotter and hotter seat every time they lose, it's kind of hard to talk about when you have LeBlonzo out there trying to do their best and losing every game, and nobody seems to care that the Lakers are losing. They just show LeBron highlights and talk about how awesome LeBron is. They're 0-3 in the West, and, and you're going to have to make up those games at some point. So that's a topic of conversation. Dodgers in the World Series and LeBron dominate. 
There's no doubt about it. But on the local level, there's a lot of big stories in high school. We probably have the best player in, in the country playing quarterback at St. John Bosco High School, kid named DJ Uyungalele. He is the next Tua Tagovailoa, and we have him to talk about. I mean, there's a lot there, and mostly all I really want to talk about is how bad my flights are. <laughs> We're talking to Petros Pavadegas. How was London? Oh, it was amazing. Looked like I, you I had love, a good time. Yeah, I love London. I mean, I, I really do. First of all, it's awesome when you're over there. Like, I, I, I just – it's such a clean city. Everybody's so friendly. Like, I love the way that they integrate. And this is probably for you when you've been over to Greece. They integrate the, like, thousand-year-old building with the 20-year-old building, and somehow they both perfectly fit. It's, it's one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen. We did – we went and watched the, the – uh, they, you know, they recreated the basically the original Shakespeare Theater, the Globe, right there on the banks of the Thames. They rebuilt it completely, like tried to make it almost an accurate reflection of what it looked like. So we no went way. and watched. Yeah, it's amazing. We went and watched a play there. It wasn't a Shakespeare play, but my wife got us tickets. We went and watched there. It's open air. Um, I mean, it's phenomenal. You know, there's it is just an amazing experience. Kind of takes you back in time uh, to a, to a totally different era. And you walk out of that uh, of that venue, and you can see St. Paul's Church, which they completed in like after the original burn down in 1666, and like 1711 they complete that. And then they've got all these other crazy buildings that are right there, right beside it, and it feels like they completely fit. Now, you're probably not a Harry Potter guy, but in a uniquely British way, when you come across the walking bridge over the Thames. They have all these different Harry Potter wands that they have set up, like over, you know, like, I don't know, 10 feet wands. Like, everybody has a different wand in the Harry Potter, uh, uh, you know, sort of franchise. And they all are set pointing in the direction of St. Paul's. And somehow it works. Like, you're like, oh, yeah, this is Harry Potter and there's St. Paul's with, you know, Christopher Wren design that, you know, has been there for 400 years. And anyway, I just love London. I, I, I love spending time over there. I think they'll get an NFL team. My flights were not bad, although I will say this. I hate when you start a flight and have to do it. You do overnights because you come back to L.A. quite a bit. I I'll never be on an overnight on tonight to West Virginia. Can you ever sleep on planes? I have to be really exhausted, but I also have sleep apnea. Yep. Which means I sleep with a mask at home. There is no mask for the plane, especially because I'm a mouth breather and I have like the whole Darth Vader mask. And when I fall asleep on the plane, I wake up and everybody is aware of what a horrible sleeping problem I have. And it's very embarrassing. But if I drink enough, I'm beyond caring. Uh, I don't want to take London away from you, but I do want to say that here in Los Angeles, there are some buildings that are like 30 years old. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have some great history. Um, it's funny in Nashville, too. Like, uh, something will close, and they'll be like, that, that thing is ancient. It was open for 50 years. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, deal with it. Um, <laughs> when you uh, – so when you look at this, uh, I, I'm, I'm honestly genuinely pretty curious. I feel like you would have the perfect breakdown of this. Have you ever been on a field and gotten, gotten spit on before? Oh, yeah. The worst so thing the, that ever happened to me – on the field, and I remember the guy that did it. He was a middle linebacker at San Diego State. And when you carry the ball, especially when I did short yardage and four-minute drill and, you know, where they're really trying to get you to let it go, 
and we didn't have replay when I played, and if a guy came up with the ball out of the pile, every once in a while the ref would just give it to him. So they would really try to take it away from you in the pile, and they'd try all kinds of things, you know, eye-raking, spitting, uh, punching, uh, ball-punching. But the worst thing that ever happened to me was this guy, linebacker from San Diego State, he didn't punch me in the testicles, but he kind of cupped my testicles in a more uh, gentle way, which was much more upsetting than the punching. And, you know, I got up screaming and yelling and yelling at the ref and yelling at the guy and screaming in the locker room like I, it's, I'm still not over it. And that was 1998. And I That's lost a nipple in that game, too, in an un- unrelated incident. That, first of all, is an unbelievable, diabolical move because the groin punch, you kind of are used to that. Well, you're ready gr- for it. Yeah, the groin caress, no protection from that. No, and I was much more likely to give up the football to protect myself from that <laughs> than I was any of the violence they had coming their way. And in that same game, Kabir Kabaha Biamila took my left nipple. I've seen that. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. It's a tough you could, break. You, you have some nipple to give. I have plenty of nipple to give. I wish some people would take away some of my nipples. What, by the way, should, like, so the, you had that brawl, Rondo spits on him, and then it looks like he punches him. Um, what should the NBA do there? Like, I, that, the whole suspension that they came out of that, like, I think three games, two games, one game, everything else, like, I kind of thought it was awesome because it's so much more entertaining. Like, I understand that you can't regularly have that happen because I, I also think in hockey it's stupid to let multi-million dollar athletes punch each other because you could have, like, a Kermit Washington situation. Or, sorry, Rudy Tomjanovich gets hit. You know, like, somebody's severely injured, and that's probably a bad precedent to set. But wasn't it kind of entertaining to watch? Well, yeah, and entertaining to talk about as well. And, I mean, it's clear that it's instigated by the Lakers, and a lot of people are giving Brandon Ingram a lot of respect for being a skinny guy who was willing to mix it up, and I I guess that's cool. Uh, He pushed Harden. Harden walks away. Uh, Chris Paul gets involved with Rondeau. Rondeau spits in a very slick way on Chris Paul and my thing is like hey if you want to get in a fight with a guy that's a good way to do it if you spit in someone's face you must want to fight and Rondo did I'm glad he threw that left because it's like okay I'm going to spit on you and now I'm going to punch you because that's that's how much I hate you so that made sense to me as well if if you want to get in a fight spit on a guy and it looked like Rajon Rondo was in the mood for the feud uh, the the Lakers are zero and three. How many games in a row would they have to lose for you to consider it to be a big deal? I mean, I don't think it's a. I don't think this is a pivot for LeBron toward trying to win championships. I mean, he's a great player at the highest level of the of the globe in basketball, but he's not a young person anymore in the sport. And this team doesn't play defense. They're not very good. And the Spurs was a winnable game for them. The Spurs aren't that good. They're supposed to beat the Spurs. And in the West, there's going to be a lot of competition for playoff spots. And these games count just the same as the games in in February. So uh, it's not a good look. I I don't think that they need 
to win championships for this to be a success. This is about clicks and stories and adulation and praise for the king. I don't think it's about championships. Those go through the Bay Area. But I, I also think that it's bad if you can't make the playoffs or you're, struggle, you're struggling to make the playoffs because the Lakers need to at least be relevant with wins and losses under LeBron because they don't want that to be the story. They just want LeBron's existence to be the story, and it doesn't have to be a championship existence. But the problem is if you don't win any games, you can't even go to the playoffs. All right, uh, quickly on, and then I'm going to go to college football to ask you a couple of college football questions, but the Rams and the Chargers. Do you think that both of these teams in 10 years will still be in L.A.? That's a great question. Yeah, I think they have to contractually. They're building that behemoth in Inglewood, and that's going to house them both forever, at least for the near future. I don't know the future of the Chargers. Uh, the owner passed away the other uh, day, uh, Mr. Spanos, a Greek-American who started in Stockton with nothing. Obviously, they've been criticized a whole lot for their move. And I don't really know what the end game is. There, there certainly isn't a lot of buzz about them in town with how good the team is. And I think it's the same with the Rams, but but more so. I mean, people are talking much more about the Rams, and they have much better foothold right now. The San Diego thing is kind of confounding, but we'll see what happens in the playoffs and as this team continues to, to be in the area. It's not like they're not a likable team. They have a lot of good players and a lot of people to root for. Phillip Rivers is a joy to watch, you know, and he's been doing it at a high level for a long time. So I, I think time will tell, like Bob Marley says, but it, they're certainly on the bottom of the rung. They're right there with the Clippers. All right, so let's go to college football. You said you're going to hop a, a, a red eye. You're going to fly out to Morgantown. Uh, yeah, you Thursday have, night, Baylor, West Virginia, Big 12. Uh, you have been to Morgantown a lot for games, it seems like to me. You and you and Morgantown and West Virginia get along well. So what's going to happen in, in college football? To me, Alabama is like on a different level. And then you've got a lot of teams that if everything went perfectly, maybe they could give Alabama a game. When you look at the Big 12, who do you think right now is going to be in the Big 12 in the championship game? Do you think and, and agree that the Pac-12 is basically out of the running? How would you assess the overall picture right now? Yeah, we're out. The, the Big 12 might be out, too. I mean, obviously, it's Oklahoma, it's Texas, maybe West Virginia, because Will Greer is so good, and I think they have a good thing going, but... Notre Dame's existence, as you point out all the time, and the SEC being what they are and not being dinged at all by the committee for having a different schedule than everybody else, a much more favorable one. And obviously, we all know how great Alabama is. The interest is kind of for second place this year. But uh, I think the Big 12 might get left out, too. I love Michigan's team. Absolutely adore their defense. And I think they can really make some noise as they continue to win these games. So I think the Big 12 might be out at the end of the day because I'm not sure if, if anybody can be clean through the rest of the season there. We're talking to Petros Papadakis. What's the best thing? For, I, I've been to Morgantown. I thought it was an incredible place to go watch a game. What to you is the best thing about doing a West Virginia game? I like the river. 
Yeah, it is pretty. It is pretty amazing. The Monongahela. Yes. I like to be right on the water there, and I like to stare at the river and think about the the history of my life and how deep of a person I am. <laughs> and you know what I sit there and say while I'm at the river, Clay? Why am I so deep? <laughs> That makes two of us, Petros Papadakis. Uh, I will talk to you next week. Thanks for getting up early with us. Dana Holgerson wishes the river was made of Red Bull. That makes two of us there, too. Hey, don't spit, anybody, don't spit on anybody on those flights or in West Virginia. I hate to see that happen. I'll try not to. That's Petros Papadakis. Uh, great show, 570 AM Sports in L.A. Go follow him at Petros and Money. Many of you will finish your day coming home from work listening to him after fin- after beginning your day listening to us and i appreciate that certainly in the la area come back all right dodgers and the red sox going at it head to head we'll talk a little bit about the world series game one starting tonight has clayton kershaw officially vanquished the demons of not being clutch whatever that means uh and uh we will discuss i think why, again, Odell Beckham Jr. needs to be traded, plus a little bit talk about Amari Cooper being traded. All that and more. Final segment, I'll the coverage. I'm Clay Travis. This is Fox Sports Radio. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Welcome back, Geico Outkick Studios. Welch's grows their grapes in the harsh winters of Washington, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and upstate New York. Only the toughest grapes survive. Their reward, they're harvested, stabbed, and crushed for their antioxidant-rich juice. The world's toughest antioxidants, Welch's, tough as grapes. Speaking of tough as grapes... Some tough teams on my top five in the NFL running through these again. Rams, Chiefs, Saints, Patriots, and Chargers are my five best teams in the NFL. My bottom five, the Giants, the Bills, the Raiders, the 49ers, and the Cardinals. Uh, Big storylines for those of you waking up on the West Coast and just getting in your car. Congratulations on getting to start a little bit later than the rest of us here on the show. I think the Cowboys have traded for Amari Cooper as partly an effort to figure out whether Dak Prescott is their guy going forward. Uh, I think John Gruden knows that Derek Carr is not his guy. That is the big takeaway from there. The Falcons win. The Giants fall to 1-6. and six. If I were Dave Gettleman in charge of the Giants, I'd be trying to trade Odell Beckham Jr. We'll probably talk about that a little bit more tomorrow uh, as well as you move on from Eli. What do the Jags do with Bortles? Big storyline this week. He's starting on the road in London uh, against the Eagles. Huge game for both of those teams. Three and four Jags against the three and four Eagles what will be the storyline that comes out of that game and how will Bortles be able to play the Lakers have fallen to 0 and 3 I'm not going to uh, to be a LeBron obsessive unlike everyone else in the sports media we are going to do a fun segment called LA Bron which I have charged uh, Danny G with becoming an expert in to make sure we figure out what the storyline going forward with LeBron will be but big game tonight Dodgers, Red Sox, World Series, L.A. versus Boston, the two best sports cities in America. Which one is going to reign supreme? Clayton Kershaw taking the mound. You guys in L.A. are the experts in the Dodgers. I'm going to go to you, Danny G. What kind of performance do we get tonight? Who should I bet on in game one on Lock It In? Got to give props to Jason Whitlock 
Guy went three for three, had one of the best gambling days ever. I'll be on our new show, Lock It In, uh, from uh, 4.30 to 5.30 Eastern, 3.30 to 4.30 Central, 2.30 to 3.30 Mountain, and 1.30 to 2.30 Pacific. I hope I got all those times right. I'm back after returning from London, and Jason Whitlock has passed the baton in a good way, although he had an awful gambling week last week. He had a great Monday. He did the exact opposite of what I told him to do. I told him to take the Falcons in the over. Instead, he took the Giants in the under to spurn me, and he went 2-0 and in those games. So what should I do tonight, Danny G? I'm going to take your advice on how to bet on this game. I definitely would go with Kershaw. I was there in the house for game five against the Brewers last week and watched Clayton Kershaw pitch one of his best games in a long time, and it came in the postseason. So – For anyone that says he chokes in the postseason, yeah, there's been times he has, but lately, not the case. Overall, the Red Sox are favored, and they maybe should be the slight favorite, Clay, because they have the better overall team, but the Dodgers have the advantage in two areas, power hitting and the Dodger bullpen. The Red Sox bullpen, meanwhile, has been their team's only real weakness. So if the Dodgers can produce runs, get around the bases, Get those runners in. They've had trouble throughout the season doing that because they've kind of been home run or bust. But if they can produce some runs and get to the Red Sox bullpen, then the Dodgers should be in really good shape. 8 Eastern tonight on Fox. The Boston Red Sox are a minus 150 favorite. So I'm going to listen to you, Danny G. Tonight, uh, this afternoon on Lock It In, I will take the Dodgers to win game one and I will take Clayton Kershaw to perform well. That means if they lose, you're responsible for this loss because I'm deferring to you as an expert on this uh, Red Sox team on whether I should rely on Clayton Kershaw. So I'm taking – that's an early preview. This afternoon on television, I will be betting on the Dodgers on Danny G's advice. If the Dodgers lose, I would humbly ask for all of you to deluge Danny G's Twitter account (laughs) and blame him for the bad gambling suggestion. Roberto, do you like Danny G's pick? Do you like the Dodgers tonight? Yeah, the problem sometimes in a, in a longer series, uh, Kershaw, the problem that he's had is he, he can't put two good starts together. But um, I'm thinking this is going to be his good start, and we'll see how he does the next time around in, in this series. I, I think um, I think it's going to be intriguing. I think we're going to have a real – it's an incredible week for sports. If you love sports, it doesn't get much better than October. But I th- also think the storylines – as we come down the stretch. I think we're going to get a really good series in the Red Sox and the Dodgers. I also think, like I said, two teams have to make real decisions before the NFL trading deadline. I think the Giants are going to have to make a decision about what to do with Odell Beckham Jr. I think they may get a first-round offer for him. And I also think the Jags are going to have to decide what to do with Blake Bortles. Do they go try to trade for Teddy Bridgewater? Do they contemplate bringing Eli Manning back with Tom Coughlin in Jacksonville? Or does somebody inquire about Derek Carr since effectively John Gruden is having a fire sale and putting together all those draft picks? He's already got three now uh, with the trade of Amari Cooper. Somebody's going to make a move there. I'm not sure exactly who it's going to be, but this is going to be one hell of a story uh, to follow, a bunch of stories to follow this week. Download and follow the show on OutKick on Twitter. You can follow me at Clay Travis. We are on pace for the best month we've ever had in podcast downloads. Do it. Go sign up for the OutKick podcast. Appreciate all of you. Happy to be back in the good old USA from London after six days. We'll be live tomorrow, 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern on OutKick. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. 
product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.